read about the ironic blessing. And uh, I hope that you've continued to pray that God bless your children. Amen. Hallelujah. And so uh, we're now in the book of Numbers chapter 7, verse 89. And uh, I woke up the other day and I read 80, 89 verses and I thought, Lord, I'm not sure that we're preaching out of chapter 7. And, uh, and then I got to verse number 89, and the Lord spoke to me. So good to have the Kefla family with us. God bless them. Amen. Um, please pray for your pastor. I leave to Texas tomorrow. I'm, the Kefla family will be there as well. We have several of our young people there, and I got to preach Friday. So please pray for me. And I got to the 89th verse, and the, Lord's, the Lord thundered in my soul. And uh, I, feel, I feel really good about tonight. And uh, I'm going to do my best to teach, but I really want to just preach. So number seven, go all the way down to the 89th verse. And it says, and when Moses was gone into the tabernacle of the congregation to speak with him, then he heard the voice of one. Everyone say one. one. He heard the voice of one speaking unto him from off the mercy seat that was upon the ark of testimony from between the two cherubims. And he spake unto him. And I want to preach to you today on the simple subject, one God. One God. Let's say that together. One God. Lord, we thank you for your word. Your word is powerful and it is anointed. I pray that you would touch me today and enable me to preach your word to your people. God, let this moment in time be glorious. God, I pray that through these lips, the truth and the commandment of God would be echoed Lord, not just today, but for weeks, months, years, and generations to come. In Jesus' name, and everyone said amen. Let's give the Lord a great big hand clap of praise. Oh, hallelujah. In Jesus' name. You may be seated. Inside the Pennsylvania Historical Society, there is a letter from John Adams to F.A. Vanderkemp. It was written in 1808. John Adams, the second president of the United States, writes to Kemp and says, I will insist that the Hebrews have contributed more to civilized men than any other nation. If I was an atheist and believed in blind eternal fate, I should still believe the fate had ordained the Jews to be the most essential instrument for civilizing the nations. They are the most glorious nation that ever inhabited this earth. The Romans and their empire were but a bubble in comparison to the Jews. They have given religion to three quarters of the globe and have influenced the affairs of mankind more and more happily than any other nation, ancient or modern. The contribution to help civilize mankind that John Adams is referencing in this letter is that of a single God who sees and interacts on the most intimate levels over the affairs of humankind. In this seventh chapter of Numbers, there are 88 verses which describe the dedication of the 12 leaders of Israel of offerings of all kinds that will go towards the consecration, amen, and dedication of the tabernacle tent. At the end of those 12 days, uh, Moses enters the tabernacle 
And the prophecy of Exodus 25 is fulfilled, which says, And there I will meet with thee, and I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubims which are upon the ark of the testimony. Moses' retelling of what happened on that day while praying is more than just a rehearsal of events. It is a declaration about the essence and the nature of God. With very precise and careful language, Moses tells us that he prayed with him, not them, and heard a voice, not voices, of one, not two, not three, not four, not five, speaking with him. This 89th verse of Numbers is God's gift to humanity. It is the revelation that God is one, and he is one in the strictest numerical and literal sense. Moses' encounter with God is very important because what we find out is that God was not surrounded by the gods of Egypt, nor was he surrounded by the gods of the, by the, by the gods or the strange gods, I should say, of the people that surrounded the Israelites at that time in the wilderness. Neither did Moses find that God was a composite unity of different persons amalgamated into one being. Moses spoke with one God, and Moses heard one voice. According to Hebrews 8 and 5, the tabernacle where Moses prayed on that day is a copy of God's throne room in heaven. What Moses saw and heard here on earth on that day is the exact same thing that John saw in heaven while in the Spirit. Revelations 4 and 2 says, And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. Moses and John were not the only ones to visit God's throne room. The prophet Isaiah entered God's throne room too, and he saw the exact same thing as them. Isaiah 37 and 16 says, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel that dwellest between the cherubims, thou art God, even thou alone. Isaiah 44 and 24 says, Thus saith the Lord, I am the Lord that maketh all things, that stretcheth forth the heavens alone, that spreadeth abroad the earth by myself. Isaiah 44 and 6 says, Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first, and I am the last, and besides me there is no God. The gods of Egypt are not up there with him, and he is up there all by himself. There are no other persons inside of him. He is God all by himself. He is one. He is the one that Moses saw. He is the one that John saw. He is the one that Isaiah saw. Isaiah Isaiah 44 and 8 says, Fear ye not, neither be afraid. You are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? Yea, there is no God. I know not any. Isaiah 45, 5 through 6 says, I am the Lord, and there is none else. There is no God beside me. God is not two. God is not three. God is not a, a, a pantheon of gods. He is not a multiplicity of gods. He is one. One, one. Let's give God some hand praise right now. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, let's praise him. I feel the glory of the Lord in this house. Hallelujah. Oh, come on, let's praise him. I feel like we're going to have a Holy Ghost move of God here tonight. Oh, Jesus, hallelujah. 
This one and single God sometimes speaks in mysterious ways, ways that some people think is a contradiction. I want you to consider the following verse, Genesis 1:26. the Lord speaking. He says, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. Why is God talking like this if he is one? Why is God talking like this if he's all by himself? Who is he talking to if he is in heaven all by himself? I want to preach to you for just a few moments on the idea of the majestic we. There is a linguistic phenomenon that happens in almost every language known to mankind. It is referred to as the royal we, in which a speaker refers to him or herself in the plural. In many cultures, kings, queens, and even in modern times, presidents refer to themselves in the plural we. The 19th century English queen Victoria used to express her dissatisfaction with anything and anything by saying we are not amused. In modern English, the royal we is still used in a variety of ways not related to royalty at all. For example, in certain types of formal speaking and writing, we is used by a speaker or writer in order to have an impersonal tone and avoid the repetition of using I, I, I. All this, however, only tells us why he is talking this way, but it does not tell us who he is talking to in this way. On that day that God created Adam, there was only two groups present. The first was the animals, and we know he wasn't talking to them. The second was the angels of heaven. Upon further examination of this text, it becomes very clear that God is speaking with his angels, whom the Bible calls the heavenly council, the host, the saints, and the sons of God. Daniel 7 and 9 says, As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair on his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousands served him, and ten thousand times ten thousands stood before him the court sat in judgment and the books were opened Deuteronomy 33 and 2 says the Lord came from Sinai and he came with ten thousands of his saints and his right hand went a fiery law for them Psalm 68 and 17 says the chariots of God are 20,000 even thousands of angels the Lord is among them as in Sinai in the holy place uh, amen hallelujah would the all-powerful creator of the universe bother to tell any of his creation what he is about to do before he does it? The answer is an emphatic yes. Scripture says so. God is a wise king, and like any human king, he informs his subjects and his servants of what he does before he does them, and that includes men and angels. Amos 3 and 7 says it this way, For the Lord God does nothing without re revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. Genesis 18 and 17, God is about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And the Bible says, And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I am about to do? When he created and when he destroyed humankind, he spoke to his angels uh, and, he, and to his prophets. Uh, God 
is not rogue. When he moves, he moves with witnesses. When God created all of humanity, he called all the angels in and he said, I want you to watch what I'm about to do. And when God destroyed humanity, he called all his angels in again and he even called his man Abraham in and he said, I want you to see what I'm about to do. I'm telling you, our God is not rogue. And this is not part of tonight's message, but why a saint of God would be rogue, I don't understand. Our own God ain't rogue. Everything he does has a witness. Everything he does is done with counsel. I said everything he does is done with counsel. Everything he does, amen, hallelujah, has a witness behind it. When we go even deeper into these verses, we see something fascinating. Many angels are created in an image that resembles that of men, which is precisely why they are often described as men in the Bible, which is why they are often confused with men in the Bible. Genesis 18 and 2 through 15 says, when he lifted up his eyes, he he looked and behold three men were standing opposite him I've heard some people ridiculously claim that this is talking about the Trinity nothing could be further from the truth amen there was two angels and one of them was a theophany praise God that were speaking with Abraham but when Abraham looked up he did not see glory and splendor he saw three beings and two of them resembled men in Joshua 5 and 13 through 15, the Bible says, Now it came about when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said, Are you for us or are you our adversary? He said, No, rather I, I indeed come now as captain of the Lord of hosts. But he looked like a man. Judges 13 and 10 tells the birth of Samson. And it says, speaking of Samson's mother, and when the woman made haste and ran and showed her husband and said unto him, Behold, the man hath appeared unto me that came unto me the other day. And Manoah arose and went after his wife and came to the man and said unto him, Are thou the man that speakest unto the woman? And he said, I am. And Manoah said, Now let thy words come to pass. How shall we order the child? And how shall we do unto him? And the angel of the Lord said unto him, All that I said unto the woman, let her beware. Last but not least, Mark 16 and 5, it says, And entering into the sepulcher, talking about the day, amen, of Jesus' resurrection, it says that the women that came to find his body, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in long white garments, and they were afraid. When God created mankind, that man resembled angelic beings angels and humans are not equal in fact in fact david says he says what is man what is man he's made a little bit lower than the angels we are not equal but we share an image and it's and it's so close that even most people confuse it with a human when God created mankind, he was speaking in all his majesty. He was speaking in all his royalty. And he was speaking to all his court. And he said, now we're going to make a creature 
in my image. When God created mankind, a solitary man is what arose from the, sound, from the sands of creation. He did not have multiple personalities or multiple persons living inside of him. He was one man made in the image of one God. Which is why in Genesis 1.27, the Bible says God speaks in the singular again. And the Bible says, so God created man in his, not in their, but in his own image. Our church is currently in a season of spiritual warfare. We are in a season of spiritual warfare. This season has layers to it. And I'm just, I'm letting you know, there are, there are several things that this church must do and do right in seasons of spiritual warfare. The Apostle Paul talks about fighting the good fight. And, 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 and if, if, if he is exhorting us to fight the good fight, it means that there is a bad fight. There is, there is, there is the potential for us to get engaged in the wrong fight. There is the potential for us to get crossed up with the wrong things. There is the potential, as Paul talks about, to get entangled with the affairs of this world and lose sight of what the fight is. And in spiritual warfare, and I'm just going to talk about this for a few seconds, one of the things that we have to get right are all the battles that we lost in the past. Each one of us is no different than the entire nation of Israel wandering in the desert. Amen. We all have trials that we need to pass. And if we do not pass them, we're going to have to go through them again and again and again and again. And that's why we try to keep you as churched up and as fired up and as Bible studied up as we can so that you're not living the same year over and over and over and over and over again. And let me tell you something else amen to our good seasoned saints of God amen hallelujah don't you believe what the world says that you can't teach an old dog new tricks I'm telling you in Jesus things get better and better and better and better and better praise God you can still have transformative life enhancing powerful amen hallelujah born again again experiences hallelujah this thing has nothing to do with age because the God that's delivering those experiences those victories Amen. Those revelations. Amen. Hey, hallelujah. He doesn't age. Amen. He doesn't get old. He don't run out of juice. Praise God. He ain't getting tired. Hallelujah. He's just as much God as he's ever been. Hallelujah. And I'm telling you, he loves his young saints and he loves the kids and he loves the young married couples and he loves the single folk and he loves the seasoned saint of God too. Amen. Hallelujah. This battle ain't over. The victories ain't done. Hallelujah. The revelations are still fresh. Praise God. There's still strength. Amen. Hallelujah. Somebody say praise God. We want to pass. We want to pass the trials that we did not pass before. And I know we're going to get back to one God here in a second. But something else we need to do in spiritual warfare is have doctrinal clarity. As the, church, as the church moves in the spirit, it must stay anchored in the word. Amen, hallelujah. As we move in the spirit, we have to stay anchored in the word. I'm just telling you, I have been in situations where everybody's real spiritual. And I'm gonna just take a few minutes right here to rant. If you will just excuse me for a few seconds. I am tired of this spirit that I hear traveling around Pentecost that tries to put study and preaching against prayer. 
Let me just tell you something. Study of the word of God, being grounded in scripture, and a prayer life are not at odds with one another. They are supposed to work in tandem with one another. I feel sorry for anybody that's too spiritual, that they don't read their Bible. And I feel sorry for anybody that's so so stuck in the Bible that they don't pray. Praise God. You have to have both of them. You have to have both of them working harmoniously. Praise God. Amen. I'll just tell you this. You want to pray before you study. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God. And when you get up to preach, you want to be prayed up. Praise God. I don't want either or. I want them both working in my life. Amen. I've been in situations where folks are praying, having all kinds of craziness going on in their life doing and saying and experiencing all kinds of wackiness and it's because they are not tethered and grounded and anchored in the word of God because I'm just telling you right now when you get in the spirit there's all kinds of unique things that can happen and let me just tell you this much there are spirits out there that would love for nothing more than for a human being to get into God's presence to get in the Holy Ghost and not be grounded in the word that way those things can talk to you and tell you all kinds of wacky crazy things that you have no idea whether or not you have bible for it but when you get when you get when you get the bible inside of you you enter the spirit realm amen with guardrails you enter the spirit realm with as the scripture calls it with gravity inside of yourself amen you want to get in there and you want to have some weight on you you want to get in there hallelujah and you, you want to get your weight up before you go up praise god you want to make sure that you know exactly what god would never say in a prayer meeting you want to know exactly what god would never say in a dream you want to know exactly what god would never say in prophecy you want come on somebody oh let's praise him let's praise him oh yes Ladies, you want to know exactly how you shouldn't look in God's presence. Gentlemen, we want to know exactly how we shouldn't look in God's presence. Ladies and gentlemen, we want to know exactly how we shouldn't behave in God's presence. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, going into God's presence ain't a game. It requires, it requires equilibrium and stability and gravity. Praise God. It requires a passion for the word of God and a passion for prayer. Praise God. And, and, and it requires, amen, hallelujah, a, a, a sense of, of knowing knowing that it's not either or it's both it's both working together you can be doctrinal and you can be spiritual praise God somebody say praise the Lord we got to have doctrinal clarity we that that's why we're doing Bible studies I want to make sure that we are that as we're going up we're, we're tethered I don't want to be like a loose kite I want to make sure that the word of God is keeping me. I, I don't want to go so far right or so far left. You know, I, I, you know, people can say whatever they want. I, I would tell you this. You, you can fall into darkness going too far left. But you can go fall into darkness going too far right. There's darkness on the other side of left and there's darkness on the other side of right. You know, every, everybody's always so worried about, man, you're, you're, you're taking away from the word of God. Let me tell you what the first sin in the Bible was. It was not taking away from the word of God. It was adding to it. Saying stuff that ain't even in the Bible. Saying stuff that God don't want, want this and God don't like that. And, and just adding to the word. The first human that ever got in trouble, it was not for taking away from the scripture. It was for adding to the scripture. 
saying stuff they had no word for, saying stuff they had no commandment for. It would have done Eve some good to not just listen to what Adam told her, but to pray about and talk to God himself. I want to move in the spirit, but I want to have doctrinal clarity. Zechariah 14.9, the prophet Zechariah says, In the last days, the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day shall the Lord be one Lord, and his name one. What Zechariah is implying is something that's missed on many people. And that is this, that in the last days, people will multiply, divide, and partition God. Think of all the things God is doing in the last days. I mean, he's, throw, he's, he's toppling kingdoms. He's ransacking potentates and, 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 and world leaders. He's, he's going to Armageddon, folks. He's he going to go, it's God versus everybody. And God says, in the middle of all that, I want to get something straight. I'm one. And you will refer to me as one. What Zechariah is implying is that in the last days, God will personally make it a point to showcase his single and individual nature. He will demand that people call him one. You and I, my friend, are living in the days of the dividing and the multiplying of God. You and I, are living for God in an epic, in an era when people think it nothing to, God, to divide God up into a multiplicity. We are living not just in a time when people will divide God, but they'll have you think that there's like this big meeting of the gods up in heaven and you're making a big deal about your Christianity. And then even within Christianity, there's some people who think God is two. There's some people who think God is three. And folks, we don't have Bible for it. It is people's present misconceptions about God that God will be correcting on the great day that Zechariah is talking about. All this divvying up, dividing up, partitioning of God that people are doing right now. God is going to take time out on that great day to clear that up. When you enter into the spirit, the truth of God's singularity and oneness must be the first thing that is clear to you. It was for John. It was for Moses. It was for Daniel. It was for Isaiah. It was for Ezekiel. You know, one question I just love to ask people. When you get to heaven, how many thrones are you going to see? People, you don't want to wander and wonder if God is one in the thick of the battle. It's what you need to know before you're in the battle. Moses enters the tabernacle for the, for the first time after it's, all its pieces are arranged and, 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 and assembled and, and dedicated. The Bible uses the word consecrated, made holy. And he gets in the spirit 
And the first thing that Moses notices is there's only one, one God in here. It's the first thing he is confronted with. He always knew that, but it's the first thing he is confronted with. God's oneness. And it's the first thing he relates back to us. God's oneness. John is on the island of Patmos, starving, being mis- he locked up, sentenced to a, to a life in prison. And he gets in the spirit. And the first thing the spirit does is show him one throne with one sitting on the throne. And the spirit literally is letting John and us know, before you go any further, let's get this straight. Let's get this straight. I want to read back to you why this is so important. And it's actually found in the verse we've already quoted and the verse I'm preaching from right now. It's in Revelations 4 and 2. John says, And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. I do not have time. But if I did, I would preach on this very simple thought. The set throne. John said, the throne I saw was set. It was a set throne. What does that mean? That means that thing ain't moving. That thing is, that thing is forever settled, as the scripture says, in heaven. It is a set throne. And not only is it, is it, is it a, not only does it settle things, but it is a throne that declares God's unchangingness. It is a throne that declares God's sovereignty. It is a set throne. World powers are not moving it. Amen. Pandemics are not phasing it. Amen. Drama is not making it shake. Amen. Hallelujah. Sickness, disease, poverty. Praise God. You name it. I don't, I don't, you, you name the things that you think might be the, the maladies of mankind. None of it is moving the set throne of God. And it's so important that as we enter into this season of spiritual warfare, that there's one thing we got straight in our heads. God is one and he don't lose battles. God is one and he's going to provide. God is one and he'll heal. God is one and if he doesn't heal, then I'm going to see him, not them, when I get to heaven. Praise God. It is in Ephesians 4 and 4 that the apostle tells us there is one Lord. There is one faith. There is one baptism. There is one God who is father of all, above all, through all, and in you all. Hallelujah. And I'm telling you, he's sitting on a throne that's set. He's sitting on a throne that's not moving. He's sitting on a throne that glows amen with sovereignty praise God he's sitting on a throne praise God that's unchanging unwavering undiminishing praise God it's not losing power it's not losing force it's not losing authority and everything that's decreed from that throne shall come to pass and everything that's decreed from that throne is you can walk on it you can bank on it come on somebody oh hallelujah praise God and I'm closing with this. I don't have time to get into all of this, but let me tell you what some people actually take issue with when it comes to monotheism. Monotheism, mono means one, theism means God. The, the, the belief of one singular God. Let me tell you what people take issue with. They take issue with the idea that God can deal with the cosmic and the common. That God can run the galaxy, create humanity. Everything 
on this green planet, blue planet. And at the same time, care about how widows and orphans are treated. You know, like we can't even do that. Your hearing, your sight, everything about you is actually kind of designed to only focus on one thing at a time. Like when you, you know, I know a lot of us think we're multitasking, but we can't multitask like God. God could do a, a million things at once and not lose and... It's a sustained intelligence and intensity that doesn't. He keeps everything moving, all the pieces. But what even happens with us believers, we make a statement like the set throne. And it's easy to actually preach about God toppling kingdoms and governments because we kind of want that to happen. I'm kind of ready for that to happen. Kind of ready for some, some toppling. <laughs> I don't even know if that's a word. But I'm ready for it. Praise God. I told my wife last night, I said, I don't think I've ever been lost so much love for this world. I'm ready to go to heaven. I, man, tell you what. Amen. I want to go to heaven. I want to see one. Yeah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But I'm not saying I want COVID to take me there. I'm just saying. Just saying. I'm ready for the rapture. That's what I should say. I'm ready for the rapture. I'll preach to you about the rapture some other day. Some apostolics don't even believe in that. But we think that God is, is dealing only with the cosmic. And we think that God doesn't deal with the common in our lives. And we're like, yeah, he could, t he, he could topple governments and kingdoms. Yes, shout now. And then we preach, and he can bless you next month with the rent. He can heal you. And we're like, well, I don't know about all that toppling. But you know what the most powerful thing is about the book of Revelations? It's actually way, 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 way back in the end. John, John's talking about angels. John's talking about thrones and voices and manifestations and, and Armageddon and all this stuff. And then he closes out and he says this, and there was no more sea. You know, John was on an island. We, we went to Hawaii a few, uh, a few years ago, and I was, man, I was thankful for it. I loved it. It was great. But like on day like three, like, I figured, I was like, man, we could actually go around the whole island, like, in a day. That's kind of scary. <laughs> like, I could go from here, there, and then no further, because there's water. And there's actually something called, like, island fever. Like, you get claustrophobic. Like, you start thinking about, like, I'm on an island. And I'm, like, surrounded. And that's, like, not a pretty feeling. I don't care if the island has coconuts, trees, and... And, and pineapples roasting. There comes a point where you, you start thinking like, like I might want to get off. <laughs> like I may want to walk a few miles that way. Now, I don't think Patmos was anything like Honolulu. <laughs> and so I'm just going to be very honest with you. John was sick of water. He didn't want to see none of it. 
He was like, I'm grieved. I'm, I'm having visions. But I go to bed and I hear water. I wake up and all I see is water. My nostrils are filled with the smell of salt. God, I know you love me. Why am I here? And Jesus says, I showed you all the cosmic, but now, John, I tailored something just for you. And I'll talk to you about the things that worry just you. I got a place for you, John. You and me, we're going to get off this island. And I got a little corner for you in heaven where there's no more water. There's no more sea. Those tormenting voices will be gone, John. The sound of the ocean, no more. That's one God doing that. That's one God talking to one man. That's a personal, intimate relationship, one-on-one. -on -one. Or as the scripture says, face-to-face. I want you to know he's toppling. He's unraveling kingdoms and powers and potentates. But there's stuff that only pertains to you, that worries you, that torments you. That, that There's wounds that are exclusive to your life. And while he's running the universe and he's running everything, he ain't forgot about you. He saw you crying last night. He saw you holding your head in the car. He saw you asking. He heard you asking for the voices to stop. No more ocean, please. Oh, he's a good God. Oh, we don't preach about heaven enough. We're afraid we'll be made fun of. But I want every saint of God here to know from the youngest to the oldest, there's a special place for you. Jesus said, I go away to prepare a place for you. He said, and if it were not so, I would not tell you that. Oh, there's a place where your bones won't hurt. Your flesh won't ache. And your mind will quiet. And you will stand with the 10,000 of 10,000s at the throne of God. Let's all stand. I feel like falling in love with the idea of going to heaven all over again. Oh, God. Oh, come on. Let's let go of this world a little bit today. How about we let go of it all together? How about we realize that this is not our home? Oh, Jesus, Jesus. Oh, God, hallelujah. I believe that in this service, God is going to go from cosmic to common. 
Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Oh, Jesus. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. 